Good morning. Let's turn to um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Over the past couple of weeks, um, we have been looking at um, talking about you and your money. And we have found that your heart is wherever your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, Jesus said. And the Lord Jesus um, made it plain that as believers, we are to lay up treasures, not on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Um, I enjoyed the story. I wasn't here last week, but I listened to Matt's sermon. I appreciate it, Matt. Um, I I was kind of tickled with the illustration that he used about having an IRS audit, and he had to go and reveal his finances to the auditor, and um, I'm sure that was quite a um, uh, an experience for her or him, um, having probably not seen somebody uh, um, generous like that in giving to the Lord, and it's because the Lord, the, it's because Matt has decided in his life to put his treasures in heaven. He's sending them ahead of him um, rather than than keeping him here. And I know many of you are like that too. That you look at life and you say, you know what, I'm not taking anything with me. There are no U-Hauls in funeral processions, and I want to put as much as I can into heavenly treasure because that lasts for eternity. Whatever we get here on earth um, is temporary, but what we have in heaven is eternal. And really, the Lord is calling us to live in such a way that we work hard. There's nothing wrong with work. He's not telling us not to work. So work hard for your current necessities. Um, put everything over and above that into the work of the Lord and trust God for the future. And I remember the very first time that I was kind of really exposed to this type of teaching, and it was revolutionary to me, as is all of Jesus' teaching. It's revolutionary. And I was really challenged in my Christian walk to live this way. I had uh, worked since I was probably 10 years old. My dad had a company. I remember my first job. I was employed sweeping the floors of his shop. Um, but it was quickly I you know, grew and, and uh, was able to handle tools and build things and worked on construction projects, house building, um, commercial construction, all that kind of stuff uh, because that's what he did. And then he got into uh, cabinets, and I learned the trade there and, and became a salesman uh, and selling kitchens to um, consumers. And, and I actually did very, very well at my job. I was good at sales and made a lot of money, way more money than I should have made as a young guy in my late teens. So to me, you know, that was just mine. It was my money. And uh, when I got saved at uh, around 20, I began to see things in a little different perspective than I had seen them. And when I went through the intern program, um, we we learned a lot about um, the scripture and and laying aside treasures in heaven and, and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and that God would provide all of our necessities. In the 
winter, and I've probably told some of these stories before, and, and I, um, sorry if you've heard them before, but they bear telling. So <clears throat> in the um, winter break of the intern program, they, were, they decided, some of the folks decided to go down to Mexico for an evangelistic um, outreach for a week. And uh, it was through Operation Mobilization, and one of the requirements was that you had to pay your own way, and at that time it was the huge bill of $100, and um, I think it's equivalent to about $350 worth today. But at that time it was $100. And before you were allowed to go, one of the requirements was you had to pray in 10% of the money. And that would be $10. For those of you who are good at math, you can figure that out. And so I had to pray in $10. And I thought to myself, I, I have enough money sitting in the bank. I could pay not only my $100, but I could pay everybody else's $100 on the, on the team. What am I praying, asking the Lord for $10 for? But I thought, you know what? This is a test of faith. Does the Lord want me to go? And so I began to pray and say, Lord... I'm not going to pray for $10. If you really want me to go, I pray that you would provide for me $100. Not that I need it, but I want to see you at work in my life, in my heart. And I want to see you answer prayer. And if you really want me to go. So I've told the story before. I won't go into all the detail. But over the next several weeks, the Lord brought in. And I promised the Lord, I'm not going to tell a soul. I don't want anybody knowing that I'm praying any more than the $10 in. I mean, everybody on the team knew that they were praying 10%, but I didn't want anybody else to know anything. I just wanted it between me and the Lord and see if the Lord would answer that prayer. And over the next several weeks, the Lord brought in $5 here and $10 there, $15. And by the time, the night before we were to go, I had $95 um, of that amount of money. And I said, Lord, I prayed for 100 and we're at 95. And I really believe that you are able to do exceeding abundantly. You could give me more than 100. But I pray that I would not um, miss your blessing in this. And if it is your will for me to go, I pray that the, extra five, the other $5 would come in. The mail came that day, and there was nothing in the mail. Um, sometimes my mail would actually come to Fairhaven. So... I was responsible for locking up Fairhaven building at night, and so I went over there at night, checked my mailbox, there was nothing there. And I thought, Lord, I, I don't know how you're going to do this, because if it's going to come through the mail, I've missed it. And there was no UPS service in those days, or you know, late night deliveries or whatever. But in the time that I had left the house that I was living in, and walked to Fairhaven. The house was one, two, third house over from Fairhaven. And I locked up and I came back. I walked into my bedroom and my roommate said, hey, Dan was by. He was a neighbor of ours. He said, um, he left something on your desk. And there on the desk was a note. And it said, Don, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know if you need this. And it just seems kind of bizarre to me. But I feel so impressed of the Lord to give this to you that I, I had to come over and drop it off. And there on the desk was $5. He knew nothing about it, but the Lord did. And the Lord impressed him to, to give to me. I look back at that event in my life, 
And I, I think today, you know, it's sort of um, a starting point. It's a, it's a little, it was a little test of faith at the very beginning of my Christian walk and my Christian trust in the Lord. And I thought, okay, if the Lord, if I can trust the Lord for $100, why can't I trust the Lord for everything for the rest of my life? Why can't I? And if the Lord is faithful in something as small as $10, but he multiplied it to be 100 if the Lord is able to provide that way for me, why can't he provide everything in life? And I remember um, a guy I knew from, I think from high school, and he became a, an insurance salesman, and he came to, this was after the interim program, he came to my office one day, and uh, he said, I, I, I want to meet with you, and, and I have insurance products I want to sell you. And he talked about, you know, uh, auto insurance and this and that and life insurance. And so he says, well, what about life insurance? Do you have life insurance? I said, I'm 21 years old. No, I don't have life insurance. He said, well, it's needed. You need us. And so he explained life insurance to me and the benefits of it and why I should be paying this amount, you know, so, such a little amount young in my life and pay the rest of my life. And I said, this just sounds like a really bad deal. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, no matter what I choose in this thing, I lose. He says, what do you mean? I said, if I pay the insurance premium for life insurance, I said, I'm going to be paying. And I said, your bet is that I'm going to live a very, very long time and you're going to get rich off of my premiums that I'm paying. So I said, if I do it that way and live, I lose. And I said, and then if I die, I lose. <laughs> so I said, what's the benefit? And I didn't uh, take it out. So the passage this morning comes right on the heels of what Matt talked about last week, and that was, do not lay up treasure on earth. And it is our tendency to do exactly that, to lay up treasure on earth. And we have been told a lie, believers. We have been told a lie. And it's so easy to believe the lie because it is everywhere. It is, you've got to save for this. You've got to save for that. You've got to save for the other thing. And by the time you save for all the things you have to save for, you're dirt poor. Okay? There's nothing left over. I was told um, when I, after we got married that we shouldn't have very many children. I said, why not? And they said, well, because you have to provide for them. It's very expensive to live and to provide for so many children. I said, well, yeah. And they said, and you have to prepare for them. You have to pay for their college. You have to prepare for their life. You have to buy them cars. You have to buy, pay for their insurance. You have to pay. And I'm going, who said? Who said? And all these things that were demands, you know, of us, and I thought, if I can trust the Lord for $100, and I kept going back to that, I can trust the Lord for my future. I can trust the Lord for everything. And if I purpose in my life to live for the Lord and put what, I, what the Lord has given me over and above my basic necessities, over and above that, into the work of the Lord, the Lord has promised to take care of my needs. Now, we're going to look at the passage this morning, and the Lord illustrates here in this passage that he's talking about 
uh, food and covering. And the Bible tells us this, that with food and with covering, we should be content. If we have food on the table or food in our belly, and we have a roof over our head, clothes on our back, that should be enough. We should be content with that. Now, we're not. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us will say, yeah, I'm completely satisfied with that. But we should be. And the Lord's gracious to us and provides far more than the basic necessities. But if we were reduced to basic necessities, there's nothing to fear. The Lord will provide for us. And that's what he's describing here. So I want to take the verses one by one, and I'll probably throw in some illustrations um, in as we go. Um, Let's read verse 25, first of all. Therefore I say to you, so the the point is this, if you really live the way the Lord um, has, has taught us in the previous verses, to put uh, uh, our, our funds or our assets into the work of the Lord, then it, it sounds from what he says like we're reduced then to just trusting God on a day-to-day basis. That's what it sounds like. And that's what it is. Trusting the Lord day by day. And so he says, so if you live that way, how am I going to provide for today? How am I going to provide for tomorrow? How am I going to provide for the rest of my life? There's a lot to worry about here, after all. And the Lord says, no, there's not. I'm the one who told you to do that. I'm the one who told you I will provide. And so that's what we're looking at. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? How many of us wake up in the morning and if you do your finances online, you go to your computer, you open your bank statement, and you say, you know what? I have enough. I have enough. I think most of us say, you know what? I'm I'm worried about my life. If I don't lay up treasure on earth today for my future, how will I live? I've got to eat, don't I? I've got to wear clothes, don't I? And the Lord is saying, don't worry, And the reason he says don't worry is because that's exactly what we do. We worry about these things. We worry about where our next meal is coming from. We worry about clothing. We worry about our future and all of this sort of thing. And when we are consumed with worry, it distracts us from the work of God. It distracts us from what he really wants to accomplish in our life. Now, I want you to think about the nation of Israel for a minute. They were slaves in Egypt. God raised up a deliverer, Moses, to deliver them out of Egypt. And Pharaoh was not having it. And so God brought one plague after the other, ten plagues upon Egypt, to bring them to their knees to let his people go. Now, they could have, at the very beginning, simply let the the children of Israel go, and they wouldn't have gone through all of that. But he kept hardening his heart. So finally... The children of Israel got to the, to the edge of the Red Sea, and you've got the armies of Egypt uh, coming in behind them, and they're about to be squashed, and the Lord has Moses lift up his rod, the seas part, the children of Israel go through on dry land, they get to the other side, they're now looking back at the enemies who are now coming there, 
they just crossed through on dry land. But the, the chariot wheels of the Egyptians got stuck in the mud. And then the waters came over them and destroyed their enemies. The Israelites saw that with their own eyes, God's great deliverance. Not only had he delivered them from the ten plagues, they didn't suffer from the ten plagues, but now this great deliverance, and it is one of the highlights of the Old Testament where God has shown his favor to his people, delivering them, showing that he is all-powerful, that he can do anything. Where else could a, could a water part like that and they can go through on dry land? And so God's power was evident, his care was evident, his love was evident to them, and here they are on the other side, safe. And it wasn't but a few hours, and they start grumbling, and they start complaining, and they start worrying about where their situation. Why did God bring us here? Why are we in the desert? We had leeks and onions Whew. over on the other side. What's going to happen to us? God brought us out here to destroy us. Really? You ever think that way? You say, well, I would never say that. <laughs> but when we worry, that's exactly what we're saying. We're saying, why, Lord? Why did you allow this? Why am I so low on finances? Why am I having such a hard job paying the next bill? Why, 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 why? That's what they were saying. And God looked at it and viewed it as complaining. That's what it was, complaining that the Lord wasn't doing the right thing. Well, the Lord had in store for them something far better than they had in Egypt. This was angel food. Nobody had had this before. And so God had provide, was going to provide for them every single day manna from heaven. About five, uh, what did I say, five uh, cups of manna, a little bit over five cups of manna per person per day. And it was like a white coriander seed in uh, flavor. It was um, sweet like wafers of honey. And uh, God was going to provide it for them for the next 40 years on a daily basis. Their responsibility was to go out every morning, gather up enough for their need for the day, and use it that day. They weren't to gather more except for on the day before um, the Sabbath, where the Lord gave twice as much. But every day they would go out, they would trust the Lord. And so they were looking to God for their daily provision. Every single day, they were trusting the Lord to provide them with food. How great is our God? There were two million people that he had to feed on a daily basis in the desert. And then water, of course, that came out of a rock. Okay, so God can do anything. He's not limited in what he can do for us. So why worry? I remember when um, Chris and I were dating, I had been kicked out of the U.S. to get my immigration stuff back in order again. I had extended it as long as I could uh, for the two years, and then they said, see ya, you know, you have to refile to come back into the country. And so we were able to see each other more, and um, one day I went for a walk with her, and um, 
We were walking around Stanley Park in Vancouver, which has a seawall, and at the seawall, there's the ocean. And I remembered a story out of um, Ezekiel 47, I think it is. And it's an interesting story where Ezekiel is brought to the temple and, and he sees something, uh, water, flowing out from the temple. And this water that flows from the temple uh, goes down into the, the valley and um, it, it forms a, a river. And this river, as you come to it, uh, so an angel came and, and brought Ezekiel along and as he walked along the banks of the river, they came to a point, a point in the river and there was enough water to walk in up to your ankles. And then five football fields later in distance, um, there was enough water from this stream that had come from the temple uh, to walk in up to your knees. And then five football fields down the river, there was enough water to walk in up to your waist. And five football fields in length later, there was, enough, there was so much water that you couldn't actually cross over the, the river. There was just so much water flowing that you'd have to actually swim across. And it's a literal river, and it's talking about a future time in the millennium where this blessing from God is going to flow from the Temple Mount down to the Dead Sea. It will heal the Dead Sea, and all along the riverbank, there are going to be trees that are growing that are full of fruit every month, and they're never going to wither. The leaves will never wither. In fact, it says that the leaves are going to be used for healing and that the Dead Sea will be healed, and there will be fishermen there again, and so on. So it's clearly a river of great blessing that the Lord is about to pour out on the nation. And as Ezekiel is going through this story, it reminds me of the life of faith, that the Lord wants to bless you. The Lord wants to bless me. And his blessing comes in great abundance, um, but the life of faith, it's interesting. It's sort of like that river. Uh, in the early stages of the life of faith, um, if we were down river where it was only enough, so much water that we'd have to swim in, it would sink us. I mean, we just couldn't take it. So the Lord starts us off and he says, okay, come into the water. Come into the water of my blessing and walk. And it's only up to your ankle. And you say, okay, I can handle this. You know, a little unsteady, a little pressure, but I can handle this. Because the Lord gives you that blessing at that point in your life. It's a trial, you say. It's a trial that we go through because in the life of faith, there will be trials. But the trials lead to blessings. And the blessings that God has in store for us come as a result of us trusting in him. As the children of Israel in the wilderness ultimately, finally trusted in the Lord, he brought manna. He brought water. He had given them shoes that did not wear out during the 40 years in a desert. And God is speaking to us and calling us into the waters. He said, the waters are good. They're meant for your healing. They're meant for your benefit. Walk in. In the early stages of your Christian life, in your Christian walk, maybe all you can handle in trials is up to your ankles. Maybe that's it. But as you're able to handle that trial, the Lord will give you more. And he'll take you down river a little bit. There's still blessings and greater blessings. And maybe the water is up to your knees and then up to your waist. And I remember talking to Chris about this. And I said, you know, this is the way I live. 
I said, I've chosen to live this way, to, ta- to work hard for my daily needs, to put o- anything over and above that into the work of the Lord, and trust God for the future. And I said, you know, I, in my vast experience of two or three years, the Lord has never failed me. But I said, the life of faith is like walking out into this water. You can walk in up to your waist, you can swim in it. And when you're through with that, you can walk on water. I said, now, I, I'm asking you, ultimately, to consider being my wife. I want you to know what you're getting into. Because this life is not, it's not every Christian wants to live like this. Not everybody wants to trust the Lord like this. But I'm asking you, if you're willing, this is what it's like. This is how I've seen the Lord at work in my life. And I was speaking to myself as much as I was speaking to her. I had been released to the work of the Lord two years prior. And I went out from a good-paying job into a, in fact, it was in, um, I'm going to go back a little bit in the story. When I was, uh, after I finished the intern program, I went to France, uh, I mean, I went to Europe, actually, 13 countries with Bill McDonald and three others, and in a, in a uh, field, <laughs> in a tent in, in France, Bill asked me one night, he said, would you consider coming and working with me in the intern program? And I was surprised, and I said I would want to talk with my elders and, you know, back home. But <clears throat> he basically said to me, I'm asking you to come starve with us. And so I left a, ultimately I left a good paying job to a place where I would be teaching the word of God, trusting in the Lord. It was, if, if the job description were posted, it would read something like this, no salary, no benefits, no sick time, no vacations, no uh, maternity leave, no uh, future, what do you call it, uh, retirement, nothing. You're coming. In fact, when you come, you actually have to pay to live here. Okay? You've got to rent your own home and pay your own food and all the rest of it. Come starve with us. And that's essentially what, what uh, he was asking. And I said, yeah, it sounds exciting. I'm going to trust the Lord to provide for my needs. And so I'm describing this to Krista, my future bride, and she says to me, I said to her at the time, I said, look, if this is too much for you, I said, I'll understand. And I said, "Um, you're free to walk away from me, and, you know, I won't think any less of you for doing that. She says, you know, I, I think this would be kind of exciting. I'd like to trust the Lord with you. I said, wow, this is a girl I want to keep, you know. And I, I um, told her about this story of the water. And I said, you know, this is how I want to live the rest of my life. And I said, here's the point. If God has shown to me in basically two to three years that he can provide everything that I need as a single man, I am convinced that God can provide for me and for you. I said, and then if the Lord provides us with children, I believe that the Lord can provide for me and for you and for each of the children that the Lord gives us. Here's the point. If the Lord could provide for two million people in a desert wilderness, 
our little family is not really that big. The Lord could provide for us too. And I will say this, as David said uh, many years ago, I have been young. I was young then. I had my whole future ahead of me. I had my whole life ahead. I had no idea that the Lord was going to give us seven children and all of the expenses that were going to go along with that. I had no idea what the Lord had in store for us as a family. And I have been young and am now old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's the promise from Scripture. So the Lord says, look at the birds of the air. And so the Lord gives us illustrations in creation. And I think sometimes we're blind to these things. But if you look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The illustration is simple and it's to the point. If God provides for the sparrows, why would you worry about his care for you? Are you not of more value than sparrows? And so you have to go back in history and you have to look at what it cost to buy a sparrow in those days. Now, I have birds that come into my yard every day. I have hummingbirds that come and drink nectar from the flowers that we have out in our backyard. Uh, robins have a feast on the worms in the grass. Sparrows enjoy uh, eating from different things within the, the gardens as well. But as I watch them, I am supposed to take from them a deep spiritual lesson for my own life. And that lesson is, look, I'm providing for these creatures. I loved you so much that I gave my son to die on the cross for your sins. Do you think I'm going to forget you? He who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's what the scripture says. Our father is faithful. His mercies are new every day. He opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing, the scripture says. I have no reason to worry. But when was the last time you saw a sparrow come in your backyard with a shopping bag? When was the last time you saw a robin standing in line with you at Costco? What blue jay ever plowed a field? What bird ever sowed or harvested crop or gathered into a barn? What was, when was the last time you saw a construction crew of birds building a silo next to their nest so that they'd have a future uh, provisions? It's not the way it works in God's creation. It's not the way it worked for 40 years in the desert. And it's really not the way it's supposed to work if we're going to trust the Lord daily and, and really be able to honestly pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread and he will supply it. It's kind of silly when you think about it. Birds don't do any of those things, yet your heavenly Father feeds them daily, sometimes hour by hour. But these little creatures aren't the ones running to, you know, to psychiatrists for their worry problems. They don't check into the local clinic or hospital with an ulcer from worry. They simply trust their creator, our Heavenly Father, and he doesn't disappoint them. 
The psalmist said, the eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. All of his creatures live in simple dependence upon God and God satisfies them. Now, compare the value of a sparrow in Jesus' day to our lives. A sparrow sold for one, we'll call it one penny in those days. Uh, Actually, two sparrows. Two sparrows for one penny. But if you bought five sparrows, you'd get them for two pennies. And so they'd actually throw in an extra sparrow. Okay, they were so cheap, you could buy five of them for two cents. In other words, they were of so little value that the extra one was just thrown in for free. I remember Bill McDonald saying one day, he said, you know, if you cooked up that sparrow for soup, there wouldn't be enough meat or it wouldn't be enough soup um, from that sparrow to to make enough soup for a sick grasshopper. And it's true. They're so tiny. And yet your heavenly father is at every funeral of a fallen sparrow. It says that. Not one of them is forgotten before God. Brothers and sisters, if God so cares for the birds of the air, don't you think he cares for you? Worrying is pointless. He does care for you. He invites you to cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. And you can trust him for your daily needs. So it turns out at the end of this section that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God promises that he will provide for all these things. And the all these things has to do with your food and your covering. But you say, well, does it really work? Yeah. I told you about the time when I went to Mexico. I told you about Bill asking me to come starve uh, with them in the intern program. I told you about how I had a bride who, well, potential bride, who um, I asked the same question. Would you live like this? I was asking her a question. I didn't even have enough money to buy a ring for her. I had been sent out or released, I'll call it, from my assembly. I wasn't commended when I first went out. And I was simply trusting in the Lord to provide for my needs. I was not um, uh, supported by my commending assembly, my home. They just had released me. And I had never received a single dollar from them for the two plus years that I had been away. Not a single dollar. The day after I had that conversation with Krista was Sunday. And we went to my home assembly in Vancouver at, uh, the next day. And one of the deacons came up to me and he handed me an envelope. He said, here, I want to give this to you. Um, and so we sat down and I slid open the envelope and I pulled out the, there was a check in there. And it was from the assembly. And there was $1,100. And it just blew me away because I had never received any kind of you know, income like that from, from them. And I was kind of shocked by, by this. And I, I nudged her and I said, hey, remember that talk we had yesterday? She says, yeah. I said, look at this. And she looked at it and I said, I'll tell you all about it afterward. And I told her, I said, you know, this is a shock to me because I said, I've never received a single dime from this assembly. And I said, this is God's provision. And I didn't tell her that it was provision for not only being able to buy her a wedding ring, but also to be able to um, 
carry on with life because I was down to almost nothing. The times in our life we have, we have had um, uh, abundance. The Lord has provided in an abundant way and sometimes the Lord allows us to go through times where we are down to next to nothing. I've told her on several occasions, you know what? Use up everything you have in the pantry. You have nine miles to feed. Figure out a recipe that'll make sense to feed everybody with what we have left. If that's what we have, that's what we have. And um, we'll keep trusting the Lord to provide. The Lord doesn't make us do that every day. But it's happened. And it's happened on occasion. I remember one day, and I, again, some of these stories I've probably told before, but I remember um, I was out with Bill McDonald uh, one afternoon, and I said, oh, hey, Krista asked me to stop by Safeway to pick up some milk. I didn't do the grocery shopping. I had no idea what milk cost. I had no idea. So I went into Safeway, and I told him, I'm just going to run in and get some milk. But he came in with me. Um, so that's not normal for people to, you know, hey, let's go shopping together and buy some milk. But he did. He came in. And so I got the milk, gallon of milk, and I came to the cashier, and I put it on the, the thing, and Safeway, you know, rang it up, and it was, I think it was $1.89 for a gallon of milk back then. And so I reached into my wallet to open it. I had a dollar. I had exactly one dollar in my wallet. That was it. Now, I didn't change my face. I'm not a poker player, but I, I didn't change my face at all. Bill had no idea that I did not have enough money for that milk. Bill, if, for those of you who knew him, um, he liked to carry in his pocket a little green uh, plastic pouch for change, a change purse, he would call it. And it, squeeze it, and you could reach in and take out coins. But when it was full, his pants would be kind of like this. <laughs> And he, he saw it ring up, $1.89, and he saw me reach for my wallet, but he didn't see what was in my wallet. He said, oh, let me get the change. He said, I want to get rid of this weight in my pocket. I put the dollar down, and he counted out 89 cents for me. The Lord didn't even embarrass me in that situation. I didn't, that's, that's all we had. And yet the Lord provided milk that day for our family. Again, it's not a daily occurrence, but it could be. And the Lord would provide on a daily basis in his own way, in, his own, uh, in the way he wants to. I have probably told you the story. One night we had a, a visitor at the front door, blonde, tall guy standing there. And almost, I, <laughs> I always call him an angel because I have no idea who the guy is. And uh, he... He's a perfect stranger to me. I've never met him before in my life. I've never seen him since. He said, are you Don Robertson? I said, yes, I am. He said, do you live by faith? <laughs> what kind of a question is this from a stranger? And I was kind of taken back, and I said, yes. I said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, God told me to give you this. And he handed me three $20 bills. And I said, who are you? He said, doesn't matter. I said, well, who am I going to thank? He says, thank God. I said, well, of course. <laughs> and he turned around, walked into the night. I've never seen him since. Couldn't even write him a letter. I have no idea who it was. The Lord's provision is, is amazing. I, I tell you these stories because they're so small 
and they're so little, and yet they mean so much to me because these were small tests. These were the, the waters of, uh, that I walked in up to my ankle. And, I, and those tests of faith in my life said to me, you can go deeper. You can go deeper. Okay, You're not finished yet. And so the Lord would take us down the river, you know, five football fields in life. And he'd say, okay, now the test is going to be a little harder. This is how it's going to be now. And you say, Lord, I don't know if I can take the waters up to my knees. Trust me. You can take the waters up to your knees. Trust me. And that's the life of faith. And you say, these little tests of, you know, milk at $1.89, $60 at the front door. As we moved on in our Christian walk and our Christian faith, we began to ask the Lord for greater things and say, Lord, we want to do more. It's not that we want more for ourselves, but we want to do more for you. We want to seek first the kingdom of God. And many of you know and, and helped us um, in getting books out to the world. One of the goals that we had and still have as um, a married couple was we, we said early on in our marriage, the Lord says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I can't do that. Um, Personally, I'm not going to be able to make it to every country of the world. I'm now, you know, in my 60s, the chances of doing that are, are pretty slim. And so we began to think creatively, how can we reach out to the whole world with the gospel? And one of the things that we thought about was with Christian literature. And we began to pray and ask the Lord to provide us with funds. And again, we didn't want to tell anybody. We just simply wanted to trust the Lord and have him provide for us in his own way, his own time, and the amounts that he wanted to do. And as we began to trust the Lord to provide us with the ability to purchase gospel literature, Christian literature, commentaries, and so on, we began to ask the Lord to provide more and more. And the Lord began to provide more and more and more the postage, the packaging, and all the rest of it. And we wanted to trust him uh, for that provision. And as we got on our faces, um, I'll tell you two accounts that just come to mind right now. One, I've told you this again, and, and sorry for boring you with the same stories, but they're so thrilling to me that I tell them. The, there was a, a, a time when I was praying. I needed uh, the rest of the funds to, for postage for the next day because we were going to have a work party to package the books and send them out. And I didn't have it. And I was on my face in my office, flat out before the Lord, and I asked the Lord to provide. I said, Lord, you've provided for the books. They're paid for. You've provided for the packaging. It's paid for. You've provided for the food that we're going to feed those who come and help us tomorrow. It's paid for. But I don't have enough to pay for the postage. Lord, please, provide for us. This is walking in up to our, you know, knees, maybe. Maybe up to our waist. Lord, we need this. And there was a, after a season of prayer, there was a knock at my side door, and the guy was out of breath. Some of you know him, Dave Reinigal. And he had been working that morning just down the street from us, um, and the Lord impressed upon him, go and give this money to Don. And two or three times he said, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Until finally, it was like the Lord was saying, if you don't do it, I'm going to send somebody else. <laughs> 
And he came running. He literally ran three, four blocks to our house and he was out of breath standing. I gotta give this to you right now. And it was just enough to pay for the postage that we needed for the next day. There was a, a lady that uh, was a secretary at Fairhaven for a number of years and um, the Lord took her off to Germany and, um, or Austria. Joni, I don't know if she, she probably wouldn't like me telling you this story, but she had, uh, before she was saved, she had had a flower business and she sold it. And she put some money aside at the end of her sales. She thought, you know what, if, if ever I've miscalculated my taxes or whatever it happens to be, and I'm ever audited and they find that I owe some money, I better have something in reserve just in case. Well, years passed and that money just sat there and sat there and sat there. And one day she came over to the house and she sat down in our living room and she said, you know, I have helped you guys with getting books out, um, you know, packaging and so on. And she says, but I want to do more than that. The Lord has really impressed upon me that I want to also um, benefit from the blessing of doing this. I want to see uh, fruit from my labors too. I want to be able to give to you so that you can put this to work. I want to join with you in this, basically. And I said, well, that's very kind of you, Joni. And, and we talked and probably had tea together, whatever. And she gave us a check and she walked away. And I thought, that's very sweet. She works as a secretary at, at she did, worked at sec, as a secretary at Fairhaven, probably minimum wage. Um, and it wasn't much back in those days. And I said to Chris, I said, you know, why don't you open it up? There was $10,000 in that gift. I said, Lord, this is incredible what she has done. And she wasn't the only one. There were others who also gave um, so generously, it just absolutely blew us away. It, the money wasn't for us. The money was used for literature, for purchasing it, for sending it overseas, and so on. But, you know, now we've gone down the river a little bit, and we're, you know, up to our waist in water. This is, this is more than I could have possibly uh, handled back when I was a young Christian. But the Lord brings us through trials, difficulties, testing to cause us to grow more and more in faith because he wants us to trust him more and more. And it's not just about food. It's not just about clothing. It's about life. Some of you are going through deep trials, but the fact that you stand with the Lord and that he stands with you tells me that you're in deep waters. It's a time of testing. It's a time of trusting. And it's a time to show that God he loves you. He loves you in the easy times of life, and he loves you in the hard times of life. He's the same God that cares for the sparrows every day. He cares for you. Another thing in this passage, we're not to worry, um, is because you're not in control. The Bible says here, which of you, verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his height? In other versions, it says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? The measurement of a cubit is from the, basically the elbow to the tip of the finger, about 18 inches, roughly. And um, how many of you can wake up and say, you know what, I, I'm too small. I'm too short. 
So I'm going to worry myself 18 inches taller. You say, that's ridiculous. That's not how it works. Well, that's exactly the point. You have no control over your height. And let's just say that the verse actually means that who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Doctors will actually tell you that if you worry, you'll probably shorten your life. So the fact is you have no control over the, your height. You have no control over your, the length of your life. Um, in fact, you have no control over anything in life, really. You don't know what a day will bring forth. You don't know if you will have tomorrow. The point that he's making here, I believe, is this. You're not in control. I am. If God is in control, he makes no mistakes. If he made you the height you are, that's because it's by design. If he made you live to be 90 or 100, that's by design. If he takes you at 60, it's by design. God makes no mistakes. He cares. That's why the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Since he's in control, let's come to him for answers. And that's what he is promising to do. Third reason why we shouldn't worry is because God's provision surpasses our needs. He says in verses 28 and 29, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And again, the Lord uses an illustration from nature. As he was sitting teaching on the hillside outside of Jerusalem, he was probably surrounded by wild anemones you know, around him. And they're, they're beautiful to look at, colorful. And he invites the people who are listening to this sermon, look beside me, look all around me at these beautiful flowers. These are the flowers that I have made. In fact, if you look at those flowers, they're beautiful to look at. If you look at them under a microscope, they're even more beautiful. The closer you look, the more beautiful they are. If you did the same thing with Solomon's clothing, the closer you look, the uglier it would get. Because it's not that pretty when you see all that, that weaving together. None of those flowers, as remarkable as they are, he says, consider how they grow. They don't sit behind a miniature Bernina or sewing, uh, Singer sewing machine. They don't do surging on a baby lock. You, see, you don't see them uprooting themselves to make a mad dash for the... Um, the luxury uh, uh, outlet mall in Livermore um, to get the latest fashion. And yet he says, even Solomon, who was glorious in his splendor, was not arrayed like one of these wildflowers. Solomon was an extravagant king and wore clothing that none of us could afford. And yet God clothed the lilies of the field or the wild anemones with such splendor that they had more beauty than Solomon's clothing. Verse 30, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? These wild flowers burst into glory for a very brief time. They dry out, they cut them down, they put them beside the, the um, common oven that they would have in town, and the women would come each morning and they would bake bread in this oven. And as the fire or the flames began to go down, they would grab a handful of these dried 
flowers, toss them in the oven. And the flames would come back up and they would cook their bread that way. And um, the Lord says, if God so clothes these flowers that have such a short existence, don't you think he's going to clothe you, O ye of little faith? Don't worry about his provisions for you. Our worry causes us to doubt the goodness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, the provision of God. God promises, and his provision is far more than our need. It surpasses our needs. As I already quoted, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for his all. Look, if he's already done the most for you by providing for your salvation, by dying and bleeding for your sins, don't you think he's going to care for your daily needs? Of course he will. Of course he will. He will freely give us all things. God's provision surpasses our needs. It says, give, this is our responsibility, give, and it will be given to you. How? How will God give back? If, if I really live this way, where I, where I put my treasures into heaven instead of treasures on earth, and I give... What's going to happen? Well, this is what the Lord promises. Give, and it will be given to you. How? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, spilling over. That's what he promises. There's no reason to worry. Why? Because God is not stingy. He is compassionate and merciful, just as the Bible tells us concerning his dealings with Job. For our part we should be satisfied with basic necessities. Now, he gives us more. None of us, from what I can tell, uh, certainly in our own lives, are down to bread and water every day. Most of us have far more than that. But if we only had that, we should be content. If we step out in faith and we live by faith, our Father will provide. He's promised to do this. His creation illustrates how he provides, and our life experience proves he provides. So why do we worry? In verse, uh, another reason we shouldn't worry is because your heavenly Father knows what you need. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God takes upon himself the responsibility to feed you and to clothe you and to care for you. Whether you're walking in a, in a faith trial that is up to your ankles or you're way down the stream in life and you're having to swim in it, it doesn't matter. His promise is the same. Whether you're up to your ankles, your knees, your waist, or you're swimming in it, God's provision is for you. He knows what circumstance you're in in this river. He knows. And he will provide according to the needs that you have. He's not going to give you, and he promises this, he will never try us or test us beyond what we are able. So if he has you in a test, if he has you in a life situation where you are swimming in the water, it's because he promises that, that he is not giving you more than you can bear. He will not do that. That's a promise from God. Worrying um, 
So what I was going to say, too, is this. Your father knows you because he made you. And the nice thing about this is that you're always on his mind. The Bible says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The Father not only knows you, but he cares for you. And he he asks you to cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Since the Father knows you and he cares for you, there's no reason to be anxious. And so be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And God will give you peace. That's a promise in that same passage, which surpasses understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Well, how should I live in light of this truth? Verse 33, we should live for him and he will care for you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Whatever your needs are, he will supply. That's the promise from God. You live for him, you put him first, you put his kingdom first. He has guaranteed his own word, backs it up, that he will care for you. These things shall be added to you. And so our response should be, well, then, Lord, let me live for you. Let me live for you more abundantly. Let me live for you even more. Lift up your eyes and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Be more interested in soul saving than in bank saving. Send souls to heaven before you rather than leave your wealth behind you. Finally, um, how should we live in light of this? We are commanded here to live one day at a time. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And as I said earlier, worrying about tomorrow distracts us from the work that has to be done today. When the children of Israel got to the other side of the Red Sea, as I said, they began immediately to worry about their, their food. What's gonna happen today? What's gonna happen Tomorrow, what's going to happen the rest of our time here in the desert? We're in a desert. How can we survive? That's worry. And so they worried about their food, their water, their lives, and it resulted in endless complaining against God. And God struck the Israelites that complained and did not have faith in the wilderness and they, their carcasses laid in, the, in graves in the wilderness because they did not trust God. But God is compassionate towards us, and he's calling us to... He's basically saying this, Listen, do you trust me for the eternal salvation of your soul? You're trusting me to take care of your soul and bring you to heaven when you die, Right? If you can trust me for that, can't you trust me for your daily provision? That's the question. When we worry, we say, well, the Lord may have been able to save our souls. He he may have been able to, to promise us that we're going to go to heaven, and I believe that. I'm just not sure he's capable of handling our day to day existence. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. And he says, don't worry. Sufficient unto the day is its own trouble. God provided manna 
every morning for the children of Israel. The provision was God's daily provision of angel food. And all they had to do was trust God that morning. They would get up. They'd say, you know what? I'm going to go out and get food because God promised it would be there. And it was. About five cups a day for each person. Each person was satisfied with God's provision every day. Now he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't gather more today because it's going to rot and it's going to stink. Don't worry about it. So the moment you start worrying about tomorrow, your life is going to rot and it's going to stink. <laughs> I'm just telling you that. Okay? Stop worrying about the future. Trust God today and he will provide for today and tomorrow. The Bible says this, And the children of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. So when they had measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And God provided in the desert for two million people for 40 years. God can provide for your daily needs. I don't know where you're at in the river. Maybe you're up to your... Ankles, you can trust God there. He will provide there. Maybe you're five football fields down the way and you're in up to your knees. You can trust God there too. Maybe you're 500, I mean five football fields down the way and you're up to your waist. You can trust God there too. And even if you're swimming in the water, it's so deep. You can trust God there too. It's a river of blessing. It's not a river of calamity. And so wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, wherever you are in the water, the Lord's provision is the same. He's going to care for you no matter where you are. And then as Jesus said to Peter, Peter said, come bid me walk on water. And Peter walked on water. He said, well, he sank. Yeah, but he walked on water. <laughs> it's more than I've done. Wherever you are in the life of faith, trust the Lord, but go deeper because he wants you to trust him more and more. Let's just pray. Lord, as we look at this passage, it, it, it challenges us in our thinking. It challenges us in our life. It challenges us in the way we live. And Lord, we want to go deeper with you. We want to learn more and more of your character, of your care, of your compassion, and your provision. Lord, we just ask you that you might help us not to worry. Help us to remember your promises and to claim them and to be confident of the fulfillment that you have promised. We pray, Lord, that we might trust you more and more and that we might see um, in our own lives your active working in our lives as we grow in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.